This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for July 1st, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. The message is by Father Ron Baird. You may have noticed from the music that Wednesday is the 4th of July. So I wanted to do something a little bit different with the sermon today. And that said, I want to talk about um, the faith of the people who founded this country and what their beliefs were really about. And it, you have to go back to this day 300 and, or 236 years ago um, that it had already been written, hadn't been proved yet, but it had been written, that Thomas Jefferson had written the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident. I think about that. That in and of itself is a pretty radical statement. To say to anything, to anybody that anything is self-evident is pretty remarkable. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they go on to talk about why it is that they feel the need to make a break with England and to overthrow the supreme head of the Church of England, as well as their sovereign lord, King George III, as a result of that. That's a radical document. I mean, if you, if you think about it today, if a bunch of people got together and, and penned a document that would overthrow the American government, we would probably think that was a pretty radical document. And it was just as radical in those days because the British Empire was the greatest empire the world had ever known. And in those words that they're talking about being self-evident is a radical thought. That, that people, you and me, are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Rights that cannot be removed from us. You can, they can be oppressed, they can be suppressed, they can't be taken away because they're given to us not by any government, but by God. Now, for George III, that was a very radical statement to say that God said that his subjects have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, by the way, doesn't mean the right to be happy all the time. It means to find your own way in life, to do the things you want to do. Um, but... That was very antithetical to what the Church of England believed. The Church of England believed that the king was the supreme ruler of the church, that God had appointed the king by divine right to speak on his behalf to his subjects, to tell them what was correct, to give them certain rights. And so what they did was they sort of went around him and said, yeah, we don't need that guy. We'll go straight to God and do without him. Now, that was a very, very radical thing to say at the time. And in that, they end up pledging themselves, their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, everything to make this a reality, to form a nation based on those principles. But if we forget what the cornerstone of that is, 
that they are nailed by their creator with these unalienable rights, then we will begin to lose what it means to be America. Because that whole concept had never really ever been adopted by any country before. We were the first people to ever say as a as a government that we believe that this was what this should be about. And they did those things. They did pledge their lives. They did things like George Washington at Valley Forge couldn't get the Continental Congress to appropriate more money to provide clothing and weapons and tents and things for his um, uh, troops. So he spent his own money. You know, some people estimate up to like a million dollars in securing supplies. He submitted the bill to Congress, and you know what Congress did? They said, we don't have any money. (laughs) He never was repaid for it. He just gave the debt and let it go. You know, where are the people today who so believe in this idea that we call America? And part of the problem, I think, is that what Washington warned about in his farewell inauguration, or farewell address after his final inauguration, after his final term, when he was saying goodbye to his countrymen. Now, it was interesting. A lot of people wanted him to be president for life. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, they, they thought that he was so great, and, and he's the only one who was ever elected unanimously, and he was so great that, that we should keep him. It was Washington that said no. That would be wrong and stepped down it. But he warned the country about what he called devolving into party spirit. That that didn't mean that they were going to go out and, and throw parties all the time. What he saw rising up were two different political parties at that time, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, and how they were attacking each other. And he said, you know, if that happens, it will be the end of our country. We will be destroyed if we forget the foundation upon which we have laid the, this cornerstone. Now, you might think, oh, well, you know, they were all in agreement of all that, and so it must have been much easier. But actually, it really wasn't. Did you know it took them two days to open the Continental Congress? You know why it took them two days to open the Continental Congress? John Adams got up. And he suggested that before we start, we should have a prayer. The gentleman from Georgia stood up and objected. Said, just who's going to say this prayer? Well, you know, I have a cousin here who could easily say the prayer. He's a minister. This happened to be a congregationalist. (laughs) We're not going to pray with a congregationalist prayer. What are you talking about? And an argument broke out about, well, who should pray for this Congress. Does that surprise you? And oddly enough, you know who settled it? Benjamin Franklin, who probably was the least religious of all of them. I mean, it wasn't that he wasn't at all religious. It was just that he didn't have a whole lot of use for institutionalized religion because when they get together and decide they need to open prayer, they'd start arguing about stuff like who's going to do the prayer. And so he finally got up and said, gentlemen, surely if we do not believe that divine providence is willing to shine down upon this endeavor enough that we would be willing to accept anyone's prayer um, pleading to his sucker, then 
perhaps we should not be doing this at all. And as far as I'm concerned, anyone who would pray, you know, invoking the name of God on our behalf, I would greatly appreciate. And all the delegates kind of went, oh, yeah. But still, who's going to do it, right? So they settled on a local minister who wasn't anybody's cousin or, or uncle or anybody, who happened to end up being uh, the chaplain to the Continental Congress and was in the, ended up being um, the first presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, William White. And he came in and said a prayer over these people that their work might be filled with godly reasons. Our country was founded on a fundamental belief that God is our king. Not George, not Parliament, but God. And where did they get such an idea from? You know, a, you, know you hear a lot about John Locke and all of his theories and all in politics, but, but where did that foundational piece come from? Well, it actually came from the Old Testament. And we've been reading about that in Samuel. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Remember a few weeks ago we read in 1 Samuel about how the people came to Samuel and they said, give us a king like the other nations have. And what did Samuel say? Does anybody remember? Oh, you don't want to do that. You give him, he's going to start taxing you and he's going to start telling you what to do, and which is true, by the way. But <laughs> They said, no, no, we need a king. He said, you already have a king. And they said, who's that? And they, he said, God's your king. He said, no, we need an earthly king. And God said, go ahead and give him one. And they got Saul, who ends up crazy before it's all and tyrannical, before it's all over with. And part of the fundamental belief of all these people, whether they were congregationalists or you know, you know, Puritan types, or whether they were Baptists, whether they were Roman Catholics who lived in Maryland, whether they were Anglicans who lived in a number of places, whether they were Quakers and Amish types who lived in Pennsylvania and such, all of them believed that God endowed us with certain unalienable rights. And among them is the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of our own way, pursuit of happiness. And so they came together. And sometimes I fear for our country because I fear that we have forgotten that foundation. We have taken it for granted for so long that we have forgotten the other warnings that they said. Remember Patrick Henry? Give me liberty or give me death. You know which one he got? Yeah, they hung him. <laughs> um, but Patrick Henry also said, when men forget God, forget their God, tyrants forge their chains. When people like you and me forget our God and forget to be ruled by God, then the tyrants start making the chains that will bind us because we start looking to other people to govern us. And we see that more and more all the time. You know, has anybody ever seen? Has anybody ever seen anything that looks like the entire statutes of you know federal and state statutes put together? How tall is it? Now, honestly, do we? Is that really working? Have we done away with crime by passing these laws? 
And part of it is that we've now moved away from another principle, which we were founded on, which is that God should rule our hearts. Because when God rules our hearts, we don't really need government to rule our hearts, do we? It's only when we turn away from God that suddenly we start to have to have more laws to enforce upon one another. And the country was founded upon these concepts of, of God being at the very center of who we are. And, and this may shock you, but did you know that God is neither a Democrat or a Republican? He's really not into labels. I mean, he didn't care about those things. What he really cares about is his people. And if we allow ourselves to break down, then we run the risk of doing what John Adams said, which is that his thing, he was very afraid of democracy. Did you all know the second president of the United States? He, he had a great fear of democracy. He said, a democracy has never existed that did not break it down into a rabble of rioters. Have you looked around lately? <laughs> it's a little frightening, isn't it? And to some extent, that's true. Because if democracy is really governance by the people and not governance by God, then you've got an awful lot of people with a lot of different opinions, don't you? And it ends up becoming a tyranny. William Penn. You all know William Penn? Down to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, really, but the rest of it, I don't know if he ever saw all of it. But <laughs> he said uh, that um, you can either serve God or serve tyrants. Those are your options. If you go back to all of the founding fathers, all of them, including Benjamin Franklin, all point back to this idea that God was involved in the very founding of our country. Because they knew that what they were undertaking was impossible. I mean, it would be like if the state of Rhode Island decided that it was going to conquer the United States of America. It's about the equivalent of it. I mean, how much chance would you give them? Not much. I mean, it seemed virtually impossible. And yet, here we are, a country. It was an amazing thing. And even then, they did not take that for granted. As time went on, um, in 1812, you all know, the War of 1812, we were at war again with the British. The British may have had to pull out, but they didn't really like it very much at that point. Um, and so they hadn't given up entirely on it. And so a war broke out because they were uh, impressing uh, our shipmen into uh, force service on their ships. And we went to war. And in 1812, the British Navy sailed up Chesape the Chesapeake Bay and up the Potomac River and took Washington, D.C. And they set it on fire. You know, that's the famous thing where um, the government had to flee and Dolly Madison saved the portrait of George um, Washington. You all see the recently they un uh, the president unveiled the portrait of the last president, which is the tradition, and... Um, the former president got to make remarks, and he said, you know, when Dolly Madison was in the house and the White House caught on fire, she uh, looked up and saw the picture of George here, and, he, and she rolled it up and saved that picture, and he said, now, Michelle, if the White House catches on fire, you know which George you need to get. Yeah. 
I thought, gee, if only politicians could get along like that all the time. I mean, wouldn't life be so much better? And, but they fled because it looked hopeless. We barely had a Navy. You know, and the likelihood of our winning this wasn't very great. But do you know what happened? They set fire to the White House and they went to set fire to the Capitol building. Do you know what happened then? That's what's fascinating. Anybody know? Not yet. A sudden storm arose. Sound familiar? <laughs> Out of nowhere. It had been clear day. And suddenly this storm just blew in with incredible winds and deluge of rain. And then there was a tornado. And guess where it hit? No. <laughs> Not Westerville. Does start with a W, though. Washington, D.C. And the British were driven out of Washington, D.C. And James Madison, do you know why he said that happened? Because of divine providence. Because this country was founded on the principle that God reigns and it belongs to God. So the British go on up to um, Baltimore to try to take Baltimore. And as they're up there, um, a fellow goes up on a ship with them to try to secure the release of some British soldiers, oddly enough, from the Americans. He was an American himself. And as he's on this ship, um, after he secured the release of these people, the British then open fire on it. And all through the night, the cannons are just blazing away. And in the morning, when dawn comes, he looks out over across the bow of the ship and writes the Star-Spangled Banner. That man was Francis Scott Key, who was an Anglican. He was the founder of my seminary, as a matter of fact. He was an evangelical Anglican. And did you know there were two verses to the Star-Spangled Banner? And Stephen Tyler couldn't possibly sing it. <laughs> Didn't sing the first one, so no. And we're going to do both of those for the doxology day because they talk about God. I mean, and, and the whole phrase that's on our currency, even in, in God is our trust, comes from that song that he wrote. You know, we live in a remarkable country. But if we forget that this liberty that we have, this freedom that we have, is not so that we can beat and batter one another with ideas, but rather is so that we can serve a loving God, then we're lost. Now, people will say, well, what about separation of church and state? What about the Constitution and all that? And I agree wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, did you know the First Amendment guarantees the right to worship as you want? It says, government shall exercise um, no authority to prohibit the free exercise of any religion. You know who wrote that? Lynn Jefferson, although he was involved. James Madison. You know when he wrote it. This is what's fascinating. He wrote it before the Constitution. It was passed in the Virginia House of Burgesses before the country was even formed as the United States of America under our current constitution. And it said that anyone can worship in any religion in the state of Virginia. Now, what's fascinating about that is, do you know what denomination James Madison was? He was an Anglican. And do you know what the established church in Virginia was? 
It was Anglican. We disestablished ourselves. How often does that happen? That somebody says, we, we shouldn't have all that power. People should be free to worship any God they want. And it was all founded on this principle of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which was given to us by our Creator, which all comes from Scripture. You know, George Washington warned us about party spirit. And I wonder sometime, and, and John Adams warned us that democracy can easily devolve into nothing but a riotous rabble. And I wonder sometimes if we've forgotten what the foundation of our country is really like. You know, this week we're going to be celebrating um, the 4th of July, our independence. And sometimes I think we're almost like 13-year-olds celebrating their independence. We think that means I can do whatever I want whenever I want to. And we forget that God is king. That's why we have a president, not a king, because God is our king. And if we who are Christians in particular forget this, if we who are Anglicans in particular forget this and don't respect and honor people of different viewpoints and of different religions, then we've lost who we are. We've forgotten our heritage. We've forgotten our history. And if we don't know where we've come from, how can we possibly know where we're going? You know, and shortly after the 4th of July, 